Tuesday, I was um, up and I was going, going through the, my daily reading and um, Kay bought me a new Bible last year. And I just happened to be in 1 Chronicles. You know, it's hard work as you get through those first nine chapters and everything. And um, Anyway, I'm at chapter 14 and, and the morning that I'm reading it, it, it's basically about David and he's asking the Lord, Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And I'm familiar with the passage and the, there's a sermon there because he, he, asks, he asks the first time and God gives him direction and says, yes, go, go and do this. And then he asks again a couple of verses later and he says, yes, go and do it this way this time. And I've logged that when I've been reading it. I thought, well, that would be a good preach because sometimes we like to do things always the same way. Filed that in the back of my, in my, my thinking. And while I'm at that chapter, I get three emails come through on my phone. And normally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be diverted from the, from the reading. I'd, I'd sort of look at those at nine o'clock. But these three emails were from Michelle. And I thought, well, she wouldn't do that unless there's a problem. And so I sort of read the first email, and the first email needed a reply, and I thought, okay, so I wrote the reply on my phone, and I went back to my, my reading, then the next email came through, and I thought, well, that needs a reply, so I replied to that one as well. And by now I'm thinking, Michelle, you know, I'm, I'm like spending time with God. The third email came through, and the third email was from a... She forwarded me this email from a journalist or a student journalist and this journalist was asking to do an article on the church and in particular to do with the um, social action programmes of, of what we're involved in. And we get these now and then and we have never ever responded to them. And I suppose the fear that Michelle and I have had when we've discussed them is that actually do we have any control of what someone is writing? And so I thought, well, that one doesn't need a reply. We'll discuss that when, when we meet up. But, you know, it wouldn't leave me. And so I get to chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles, and it's hard enough as it is. And, you know, and I'm thinking, I wish I could just drop that email out of my head. I can normally delete things. Can't I, Beverly? Yeah, I'm deleted. But this one wouldn't go away. And then just the light, it was like a light bulb moment. I get to chapter 16, I think it's verse 24, or 23, and I thought, I know, to file it, because I've got no peace, I'll ask God. That's what David did in chapter 14. Well, that's encouraging for a pastor to remember to involve God. So I thought, all right, Lord, that email, what shall I do with it? Do you know the next verse I read in the Bible? The next verse said, publish it. In the NLT, chapter 16, verse 26, publish it. And I thought, peace, I'm not bothered. So I just text Michelle, publish it. And we will. And, and I think, when I woke Kay up, I was, there were tears in my eyes and the joy in my heart. This is how close God is. He's interested in all the details of our life. And sometimes what we do is we get involved, we get, even we can get active and busy doing the right thing and all the stuff that we do, and we can forget he's that close. And I want to give you an analogy. You know how I wear my wedding ring? The wedding ring is a symbol 
of Kay's love for me. It's not very valuable, as in she didn't pay a lot for it. But what it symbolises is something of enormous worth. And if I lost the ring, I haven't lost Kay, I've just lost the ring. But it's a sign. And I just think, you know, when we come to church, and when we can give testimony, and there's a passage in the Bible that says we should all do this, by the way. There's a passage in the Bible in 1 Corinthians that says that when you come to your church, that you bring something to share amongst the brothers and sisters in this building. And uh, we want to encourage that. We are a church that allows that. We're small enough, really, to get away with that. And from the person with the microphone to the person making the coffees, we're all of the same value, we all know the same God, and we all need building up. And these things that happen in each of our lives, in and of themselves, are signs to you and the rest of the body that God is at work in your life. And when we look at chapter 2 of Samuel, we find that sometimes life doesn't work out how we want it to work out. And if we could write our own story, then we would write it completely different sometimes to some of the events that we all have to go through. We clarified that last week. But do not lose sight of this. He's still there. He still loves you and he's still working things out. And those signs that you have, they're the little reassurances that God's on the case. That actually we win in the end, you know. This isn't it. We really do come through in the end. And one day, one day we will have more understanding. And one day we will begin to grasp just what he was doing when those really difficult times. I know the week that lady's had. I know the week that she goes through. But this much I do know. God is still there. He's still at work. Still doing his thing. Still, and we will see this, still preparing something even in the midst of something. That's what he was doing. When Hannah goes on to have Samuel, do you know what? God is rescuing a nation. He's bringing a nation back to himself and Hannah has not got a clue what's happening. She's not got a clue. God's plans are always so much bigger than ours. So that's the setting of the, of the scene, if you like. The other thing I want to remind us is this. Do you know it's a year today since we came into this building? It's a year today since Michelle Torrens gave us her first sermon. It's a still waiting period for the second sermon. I have not forgotten. Neither have I forgotten the first sermon, by the way. When she's talked about doing church God's way... And God building it and growing it. And look around the room. You know, when we preach, that actually we should carry a prophetic edge to what we actually bring to the church. And provided we do it God's way, then he will fulfill God's way. So let's jump into the text. We'll begin with chapter 2, or just at the end of chapter 1, I think, is where I want to pick it up. When we go into chapter 2, we'll find that Hannah 
he's about to pray. And you can, you can skip over a prayer, if you like, or a psalm or a song and not see the meaning within it. Well, we're not going to do that today. She reminds Eli, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. That's not a blank check, you know. It's good to bring our request to God. It's good to ask God for anything. And that includes if you want a child. But this isn't a license to say that I can get anything I want from God. And that includes children. But for Hannah, it was an answer to prayer because it lined up with what God Almighty wanted to do with the nation. The nation, as Dawn had shared, has gone away from God. Each person doing what he wants to do in his own eyes, thinking that's right. And God is saying, no, you are my people, I'm going to bring you back. And the system at the moment is failing. The priesthood... We will find before the end of this preach, the priesthood itself is failing. Failing the nation. One of the things I think has happened in this country, I think the church has failed the the nation. On our watch, people, us have failed this country. And that's scary. But not irreversible. Not irreversible. So, when God gives you a gift, do you know what? It's good to give it back to him. God will never be any man's debtor. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he shall be given over to the Lord and he worshipped the Lord there. Eli and Hannah are worshipping now together. In chapter 1 we discover that Eli is so far removed from reality and so so used to the corruption of the society that he thought Hannah was drunk when she came to the temple. And I said, that's naughty. Don't come to church drunk. That was a joke, just to lighten it. Come on, go with it. What a lovely scene. She's returned Samuel back to them. We reckon he's about three now. She doesn't know whether she's going to have any more children, by the way. She is going to go go and have have other children. But at this point in time, she doesn't know that. Let's move on. And then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. So much in this. They don't have the New Testament. We're probably a thousand years away before Jesus and the New Testament. The, all that she's got is the stories and the Old Testament first five books of, of the Bible. She knows the story of, of Abraham. She'll know the story of, of Israel being redeemed from Egypt. And she knows this is how God always works. God has a way of working and it's always the same way. And in a small way, Hannah is able to take the big picture and bring it down into her own life. It's a great practice for you and I. Get the big picture of what God does, God's love, God's rescuing, God's redemption, and bring it and make it personal. And you will see it all the time, that God is active. Look what she can say. My heart rejoices in the Lord. Well, actually, Hannah... 
There was a time when your heart didn't rejoice in the Lord. There was a time when you were weeping before him. There was a time when you were crying out to him for this child and because he's answered the prayer, yes, now you can rejoice. And that's very much like us, isn't it? When our prayers are answered, it's so easy to rejoice. But the bigger picture is this. That in some ways, he's always answering our prayer. Not always the way we want it, but actually he's listening, he's there, he's so close to you. I said to Bev, this is just an opportunity for you to learn how much God loves you. Yeah, you might be without a home, don't worry about that. Well, there are plenty of people who will take you in. But, but hear what I'm saying. These problems, we can, we can suddenly take our eyes off God and actually say, oh, my world's falling apart. But actually, no, God's, God's involved. And you will see it. And when you see it, rejoice that he's on your case. He loves you. Ah! Maybe one of the ways we've failed this country is we've preached fire and brimstone, which there's a place for that. But how about preaching how much he loves people? How about demonstrating to the community how much he loves you? As you are. He won't leave us as we are. He was at work in each of our lives. But come on, we're in church. We've been here a year. We haven't paid a penny rent. That's God. Rejoice. Rejoice. My horn is lifted out. That's an Old Testament symbol for the strength. Our God is God Almighty. Nothing is too difficult. You can stand there and pray for a lady who's not in church today and she can be made well. If our God wants that, by the way. Or perhaps actually what he's doing in Joe is something completely different. I don't know, but I know this much. God loves Joe. God has a plan for Joe. And he will be working something out. And in that is the peace. We should pray for healing. But we should rejoice. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. God is always at work delivering someone. Rescuing you. Taking you out of where you are and bringing him to himself. He did that in your life. Come on, tough crowd. Okay, some of you smile at me. Some of you are saved, going to heaven. Right, free ticket, great stuff up there. Right. If you die today, you get there today. Right. That's worth celebrating. Not because we deserved it. Just because he loves you and chose you. Hmm. Because of verse 1, she can go on to verse 2 and say this. God is holy. There's no one. You know, in that culture, lots of false gods. Lots of stuff going off in Israel. The nation worshipping Baal and getting involved in all sorts of unsightly things. But God's still holy. Out there, right, same Lots of people. Do you know, I watched the football again yesterday. At the end, I saw some of the results. Grown men weeping. I wish church would weep. Yeah, I feel like getting on the telly and saying, get a grip. 
Today, the Leicester City may win the Premiership. There'll be thousands of people celebrating. But where are they in church? We should be rocking this place. I mean it. I'm not having to pop at anyone. We, if we believe this, this place foundationally could be challenged. Look, there is no one holy like the Lord. That's our God. And then he takes you and me and he says, be holy. Make it real. You be holy. Be separate. Chosen. There's no one beside you. There's no rock like our God. You want to build a life? Build it on God. It breaks my heart to see Christians building it on something else. It should break your heart. Build your life on God. Move it on. Do not keep talking so proudly. He's on about our enemies now. Or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is God who knows and by him the deeds are weighed. Do you know what? We like to watch the nature programs in our house. And these people spout all sorts of stuff and we see all... Kate's great, you know. She comes to me and she shares the garden with me. And we live in a day of miracles. She's not bought a plant and it's May. <laughs> That's true. You never thought you'd hear those words from my lips. I don't think we'll reach June. Look. They speak arrogantly. You know, they trot out a load of tripe. They fail to see God. Do you see God in the world that is created? It's there to see, you know. You read Romans, there's a couple of chapters in Romans, and he speaks about what he has created, that man can acknowledge there is a God. Once you begin to acknowledge there's a God, actually you begin to realise, I need to get right with God. And then you begin to discover that there's only one way of being right with God, and that's coming to Jesus. You begin to realise you can't do this life yourself. And that's a great place to be. That is such a great place to be. We'll go through. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. It's a faith now coming out. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has born seven children, but she who has many sons pines away. Look what this says. The Lord, no one else, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. He is sovereign. It's his creation. We are his people. We don't always understand this stuff. But hear this. He is in total control. Death is defeated. And that's good news. That is really good news. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. Do you know what? I like being lifted from the ash heap. 
I didn't even know I was in one. But actually, because of God's love, he reached down and he said, come on, out you get. Got a plan for your life. I love you. What I've got planned for you, you just cannot imagine. He seats them with princes and makes them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. It's his creation. We're just passing through it. Let's display something, like Hannah is, to the world that needs to know. Do you know the guy that she's that is hearing these words, Eli, he's lost the plot. He's the one that should have been teaching them and showing God. And now he's got a woman showing him the truth. Not that I've got anything wrong against the ladies. Right? I know one or two very sensible ones. No, that's a joke. Come on. Come on, chill. Let's move on. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. There is a time in the future. There is a time when his kingdom is established. And that time is as sure as anything. And Hannah understands that. She knows that in a small way, her redemption uh, justification has been established because God has granted her a son. Do you remember in chapter 1 that the other wife was always provoking and, and having jibes at her and telling her that she would be worthless and cursed by God and everything. But she knows now that actually God was at work. How about I turn it on its head? Penina, the other wife, what happens if she hadn't been goading Anna? What happens if she hadn't been tormenting her? What happens if Hannah hadn't been driven to prayer? Where was Samuel? Where was Samuel? And you know, somehow, and I'm not, I'm not condoning what this other woman did, but somehow God couldn't move until Hannah moved. Until Hannah actually got the fact that I need to come to God Pray for this child and give the child back to God. Because God's plans are bigger than Hannah's. And I'll guarantee this now, God's plans are bigger than yours. Whatever your plans are, they're not the same as God's. He's always at work, behind the scenes, and she doesn't know it at all. And I'll tell you something, we don't know what God is doing. It is the hardest thing for leaders of this church, and that's why it's leaders, not leader, for leaders of this church to actually seek God's will. And we don't always get it right because we're just people. But when we do, you know what? We get a year rent free in a building like this, which won't be big enough. Because God's at work. Verse 10, please. One day, Every knee will bow. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt the strength of his anointed. One day. This is a thousand years ahead of Jesus. What's happening, she doesn't know, is that the priesthood is about to be removed and they're going to go into a monarchy. They're going to go into a king. And the first king will mess up, and then the next king will come, and he messes up as well. 
But the true king came. And it comes from this line. And he comes in the name of Jesus. And she doesn't, there's no way she can know that. But she knows this. One day. Isn't it a pain waiting for that one day? I wish it was today. It might be today. It might be today. But we can take hope, can't we? I really want you to take hope. Take hope that one day will come. It will come. It is in the Lord's words. It is written, one day every knee is going to bow. And we're a lot closer today than she was. So, Hubby goes home. Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. You're going to get a contrast now. We get a contrast between what Samuel begins to do. He could be three or four years of age, this little lad. He could... He's going to be working alongside a corrupted high priest. A priest that should have known better. But still, Samuel will learn. And you get to hear how that happens. Sometimes, you know, having children in church can be noisy, can't they? You never hear in in the Bible that God is anti-children. He's always pro-kids. You can bring as many children to church as you like. And they'll be as noisy as they like. And we'll show them how to worship God. How's that for a deal? Don't make it with me, make it with him. Make it with him that he can fill this place. Because hear this, this is the next generation. And if you don't have kids, Martin and I were talking about this this week. If you don't have kids in church, church will die. And all over this nation, churches are dying. Because they didn't get that. They liked it to be quiet and ordered and everything. I like church to be messy. And since I've got the mic, most weeks it can be messy. Doesn't mean that we actually don't show a better way. But come on, let's not fail our generation. But the boy ministered before the Lord. Children can minister before God. You don't need to be 21 or 13 or whatever. Children can be ministered to, to God. Wow. That's our God. Do you know some gods demanded you sacrifice kids? You don't want to be worshipping that one. We're just going to jump into another passage now because I want to show you the contrast. Let's put Leviticus up. and you'll, I'm not going to... St- Expound this, or exegete it. Let me just show you what should have been happening. Leviticus chapter 7, when Moses gave the law to the people, this is the instruction for the priest. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, anyone who brings a fellowship offering to the Lord is to bring part of it as their sacrifice to the Lord. Straight through, please, Graham. With their own hands they are to present the food offering to the Lord and they are to bring the fat together with the breast and wave the breast before the Lord as a wave offering. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar. Note that, verse 31. But the breast belongs to Aaron and his sons. You are to give the right thigh of your fellowship offering to the priest as a contribution. 
The son of Aaron who offers the blood and the fat of the fellowship offering shall have the right thigh as his share. From the fellowship offerings of the Israelites have taken the breast that is waved and the thigh that is presented and have given them to Aaron and the priest and his sons as their perpetual share from the Israelites. That is their share of the sacrifice. That is, the, that is God's way of keeping the priesthood going. Rather than the priest having to work and, and um, earn, a, earn a living and farm the land and everything, he says, no, I want you dedicated to me. You're going to show the, how to do this to the people and the people are going to support you by this way. Isn't God great? And he puts this system in place where actually those can keep the temple going, what's going to be the temple, the, um, the worship and how to teach and everything, all there, set there. What does man do but mess it up? Let's jump back into Samuel, please. God sets something up. Man decides to go beyond what God does. There should be... Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Help. Ah, there we go. Okay. Eli's sons were scoundrels. You don't want to be a scoundrel when God says you're a scoundrel, right? Be a saint. Don't be a scoundrel. Actually, some of you used to be scoundrels. Some of you need to stop being scoundrels. But these were real scoundrels. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Wow. I mean, just let that sink in. How did that happen? How did, how did Eli, the priest's sons, learn to have no regard for God? You know, you can be in church and have no regard for God. That's not right. That, that is so far removed from what we should be in church, in life. They, they didn't get there in one leap. It didn't just happen overnight. They didn't get out of bed one morning and say, I know what, all that I've learned, all that I've seen of God, all that I've testified of God, I'm going to walk away from it all. It never happens that way. It always happens in increments. It's just, I'll stop doing that. I'll, I'll just stop doing that. I'll actually stop testifying. I'll stop recognising God at work in my life. And my heart then goes cold. It goes hard. And before long, I can come to church. I can imitate what's happening around me. I might raise a hand. I might sing a few words. But my heart is stone cold. It's actually unmoved by what's happening. I can't feel the Spirit of God. And it can happen to anyone in this room. And I put my, myself at the head of that statement. If I stop doing what I should be doing, it will happen to me. And, and it can happen to anyone. And then look what, look what they did. Now it was the practice of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork, fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. 
the nation, and remember, most of them are a million miles from God. Most of that nation at this time are rejecting God's ways. That, there was even more responsibility at Shiloh to get it right, to show them the right way. What do they do? They want more. The fleece in the sheep, as what I would say. That was a little light-hearted. Come on. I've already shown you that actually in Leviticus, their livelihood was already guaranteed. They didn't need that. They just wanted more. They were abusing their position. Sometimes leaders do that. Don't hold us accountable. You hold us accountable. And say, you've got no right to do that. I'll sell the Jaguar next week. Okay. Move on. But even before the fat was burned, the fat belongs to God, by the way. It's not even nice, is it, fat? Why would they want this? Even before it was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. That's a slap in God's face. Actually, the system... It's to remind them of the Passover and they shouldn't be eating that and he shouldn't be taking that from them. They are abusing their rights and God had already prepared for them. Move it on. If the person said to him, now you've got the, the congregation, if you like, trying to keep them on the track. Let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want. The servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll bash your head in. That's what the Hebrew says. Moving on. I want to get to the bit. Look what God says. The the stealing from God. That's what they're doing. They are stealing from God. The sin, this sin of the young men, not just great. This is one of the very few occasions when these two words are joined together. The sin was very great. What? Nicking a bit of meat? No, 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 no. It's more than nicking a bit of meat. It's not following his commands. It's taking liberties, it's abusing them, and it's actually showing contempt to God. And you can do that in church. If you are not careful, and this God is the same today as he was 3,000 years ago. They're treating the Lord's offering with contempt. That's a very, very strong word. Remember when it said that Samuel was ministering? Look how he's framed it. He's done this deliberately. While it's all going wrong, while everything's fallen apart, the priesthood is corrupt. But look what's happening. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord. He's not even a man. He's a boy. Because God's at work. God is always at work. The church might fail. But God will somewhere have someone doing it right. Somewhere God will be at work raising a new generation. Raising a new type of leader or type of congregation that will worship him properly and show a world that so desperately needs to know him the right way. Don't you want that to be us? Don't you want to be part of something that God is doing? 
a little boy wearing a linen ephod. He's dressed now like Eli. And you know what? You'll find out next week, or week after, that actually he's hearing more than Eli. A little boy is hearing from God, and the, the adult isn't. We must never, ever look down on children. You could have the next Billy Graham in this room. And I pray that they are. Because this country needs it. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. She's going up every year. She must be so excited. She's going to worship Yahweh, the Lord Almighty. She's taking him a gift. She's seeing her son. And he's growing. And he's growing. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And then they'd go home. That must have been hard. That must have been difficult. And yet again, Hannah, her prayer is answered. In the way she wants it answered. So that makes it easier. But she still just loves Samuel. She still would be missing him, wouldn't she? And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. The writer sticks that in, so we've got a time frame. We're beginning now to get some years under his belt. And meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. I'm actually going to stop it there. I wanted to go right the way through the chapter. But that is so significant. I want to end it on a high. That's how he knows God. In the presence of the Lord. Do you know he's here today? Do you know God is here? He lives in this building. Isn't that great? Where does he live when we leave church? Absolutely. In this building. There is something about coming together as a corporate group of people. As a group of people, a like-minded, wanting to worship him. We will find out that the boys, the two sons, just took it for granted and then they lost sight of what was so important. And they paid a very heavy price for that losing sight. But Samuel didn't lose sight. Actually, we find out later on that Samuel wasn't able to teach his own children the right way. Sometimes kids just will not have it. Does that mean we don't try? I've got one that won't have it. I've got two that love, love the Lord, one that's doing his own thing. I tried. And it breaks my heart to, to, to know that he's chosen a particular path. No guarantees. Well, but that doesn't mean we don't try. doesn't mean we don't pray for your children. If you are a grandma, granddad, grandma, you know what? We need to pray for our kids. We really need to be on our knees praying. Prayer meeting on Tuesday night should be packed. It won't be, but it should be. Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. What a responsibility 
to be a parent. How do you be a parent? You know, we've got parents living with us at the moment. And they're great parents. But somehow, they have one shot at little Joshua of getting him into the presence of the Lord. And they will catch it more than hear it. They will see everything that goes off in the house. I'll leave you with a challenge. That's just the setting you up. How about this week? Everyone in this room, I don't want to enter church next week, so don't hear what I'm not saying, right? Okay. How about I give you a challenge? Everyone in this room who is, who is here next week, you come and testify at the front of the church. It can be five words, it can be two or three minutes. You, if you haven't got a testimony, don't feel guilty, right? But how about coming and just reading a psalm to the church? How about just coming out to the front and saying that actually, do you know what, I've had a really rubbish week, but I still love God anyway. There'll be some of them in the room, you see. It's not to put pressure on, it's to encourage. Whenever we confess before God and before man, it does something in us. Isn't that not right, Bev? You have to say that, else I'll get you up again. You know, I love all of you. I really do. I want to see you all grow to be the man or woman of God that he wants you to be. And that, that is so much bigger than what any of us think. Spend time in his presence this week. From the newest believer to the oldest believer. You never know, he might just say, publish it. Father, I know you've overheard. Lord, and I want to pray that we will indeed spend time in your presence this week. Pray for everyone, Lord. These are serious matters um, to consider. Help us not to rush through this uh, coming week, but put time aside for you. I want to thank you for your love for each one of us. Thank you that you are indeed sovereign above everything. You are in control. And, yeah, your plans are good for all of us. Help us to put time aside and to grow our faith in you this week. As Michelle said, to put roots down even deeper. In Jesus' name, Amen.